Welcome to the eGovernance Academy podcast to discover the future of governance. Tune in for the Digital Government Podcast every Wednesday. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Digital Government Podcast. I'm your usual host, Federico Plantera, journalist, sociologist, and researcher. And this is actually the last episode before the eGovernance Conference 2022. E-Governance Conference 2022, we repeated it so many, we repeated it so many times, but uh, it's never enough, basically, until the actual week of the conference, and uh, it's going to happen now exactly in uh, about seven days. So just head to 2022.egovconference.ee because the, the conference is happening between May 10th and 12th. You can register both, you can attend both online or offline. And today we have also one of our main uh, keynote panel speakers, and uh, this person is Lucas Ilves. Lucas Ilves is the go new government CIO of the government of Estonia, and he's joining us today. So welcome, Lucas. Hi, Federico. Good morning. I think this is your very first time at the, at the Digital Government Podcast, if I'm not wrong. That's right. Uh, but, it's also be but it's also because, in any case, Lucas was uh, this info for our listeners. Uh, he was previously um, the head of strategy at Gartime. Uh, and, at, and basically, he has just entered office very recently from uh, January, February of this year. And as Seem Sikut said in, uh, uh, in a previously published episode, I think it was like uh, last week, if I'm not wrong, then he said that, uh, that you took the bait somehow, let's say. So Uh, of course, officially and formally, this means that Seam uh, Sikut's term came to an end, and Lucas, of course, like uh, is now the successor. But Lucas, how did this bait taste like so far, essentially? Because it's been three, four months, so I think you've had a chance to at least take a first look, let's say, of, at how things are, and also already get the ball rolling. Oh, it's it's been fascinating, right? I think I have both the best job in public administration in Estonia. Uh, and the best job in digital government in the world. Um, so in that sense, I, I have no regrets about taking the bait. Um, maybe an interesting aside there, by the way, is that the way that uh, civil servant jobs are filled in Estonia is through open competitions. So one of the things that some of my colleagues in other countries have even found remarkable is the fact that I could come really from a tech startup and, and literally just apply for the job, go through a, a process, you know, there were several rounds and so on, and ultimately be selected for the job without a sort of political requirement uh, or, or a requirement to be formally sort of, um, you know, uh, passing a civil servant exam or something like that. So that, that in and of itself um, is very much a useful thing that you have this sort of back and forth between public and private sector. But yes, I, I took the bait. And uh, indeed, um, it's, uh, it's a fun and interesting job, which I'm sure we're going to get into in the next few minutes. Yes, we will get into that in a second. And uh, but first, I want to ask you in terms of mm, the type of job, let's say, you know, like the, the tasks or like the routine. Uh, did, do you already notice like some or like what are these, let's say, significant differences in between the position that you had before? Because indeed, it was not in the in the public sector, even though it was it involved a high level of interactions and relationships with the, with the public sector, and instead the point of view where you're seeing things from right now has that changed did you already see something um, significant indeed like to to note let's say about this change in perspective or point of view yeah well fundamentally the, the job of any government cio regardless of country regardless of the the specifics of the org structure 
is to move a whole lot of stakeholders in a common direction. Uh, and those include stakeholders that you have various degrees of control over, you know, your own team, perhaps agencies that may report to you, uh, then a sort of a, a second concentric degree, a, a sort of circle away other parts of government. But finally, um, because, of, because we're talking not just about public services, but we're talking about the service ecosystem that, that the public sector coordinates, but moving a whole lot of private sector stakeholders uh, along with you and, and moving all of society. Um, so I think if you had to ask me for the biggest functional difference, it's that in what I was previously doing, you know, we had a, a product and a, you know, that we were building, we had customers, we had new ideas around products and services, and we had the feedback loop that you have in the private sector of, well, either what you're doing generates revenue is profitable or it's not. Uh, and uh, in any government job, but in particular in, in this type where um, where the outcome is measured in years and whether you've systematically been able to move everyone along with you, uh, that, that immediate feedback loop is absent. So I miss that sometimes, but I think that's also part of what makes the job interesting is that when you do manage to uh, create those shifts, you really, uh, you can bring a lot of people along with you. The, the old proverb that if you want to go, uh, if you want to go uh, quickly, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together very much applies. Yeah, also because in any case, when we talk about public services and uh, and this like change in dimension and also in perspective, we're now also talking about working for somehow what in the case of Estonia, but in the case of other uh, digital countries or countries that are making of the digital, let's say, one of their main dimensions, uh, we're talking also about like a public good. So not just about the functioning, let's say, of the public administration in an efficient way, but also the digital, let's say, the digital sphere as a public good that must be improved, maintained. And indeed, this already leads me to one of the three questions that in this episode uh, we will address in order to introduce what, what is going to be, first of all, the fireside chat that you're going to have at the conference, which is about what's next for the world's most advanced digital governments. But before indeed getting to what's next, What's at the moment, I would ask you, because, of course, I imagine yep. that it's not that the term that CMC could uh, just finished uh, then, uh, I mean, was just wrap up and bummed, etc. And there was nothing probably left on or open. Um, so what I would ask you first would be, what are some elements of continuity, let's say, that you are seeing in your term for how it started at the moment in terms of the projects and the topics that you have on the table at the moment with the previous terms? So what are these like um, open dossiers, let's say? Well, Seem bequeathed me with a, a new digital society strategy adopted by the government uh, in the last autumn. And I must say that, that broadly speaking, it lays out very clearly where we need to go. Um, it's, a, it's a fairly long document. Um, it's got some bureaucratic elements, but you had to reduce it to a nutshell. What, we're, what it's really about is inculcating a philosophy and a culture of true user centricity across how public services get delivered in Estonia. Um, and maybe let me let me look at let me start from what our assets are, where, where we're very strong right now, and where we need to do work. I mean, I think our really our massive core asset is that many of the infrastructures and the agreements around how digital government is provided in Estonia. Um, are rock solid and have a level of, shall we say, penetration or user uptake, uptake that you see nowhere else in the world. So our electronic identity system, it's been around for 20 years. 
It is used by 90 plus percent of the population. It is woven into the fabric of every public service. Our approach to interoperability and data sharing, both within public administration and with the private sector, again, you know, people know it by the tagline of the X Road, but it's a broader data ecosystem. We've been building it for 20 years, massive uptake. Everyone's used to the idea that this is a, a natural component of how we build services. And finally, perhaps more important than any particular infrastructure or service is this user expectation that we have. Estonian users, citizens, use whatever phrase you want to, um, humans have a positive expectation that their public services are digital by default, that they, are, that they function um, without interruption, that they are um, simple to use, unbureaucratic. And when that's not the case, they're not quiet about it. They express themselves they express their disappointment. Um, and, and this really brings us to the challenge, which is from a functional perspective of how our public services work, um, what's digitized, um, how the processes are run, I think we're in pretty good shape. Um, however, uh, what our users see on a daily basis is that we do not have the, the user experience, the design that um, public sector that, that the best private sector services that they're used to using have whether those are um, you know something provided by Apple or Google or something really innovative and new uh, that comes from a cool startup or even just the sort of the well-designed user interface and user experience of the best internet banks or the best telcos apps um, and it's not just about sort of having pretty interfaces it's also what that points to is this underlying question of what is driving um, the public services, uh, and to what extent are we designing our public services, not just in a digital sense, but in a broader sense, to really focus on user needs? Does our design process have the toolkit that in the last 10, 20 years, the best digital companies, the best internet companies, the best consumer-facing companies of any kind have built into their processes of how they you know, design their product and services, how they market them, and how they continuously evolve them? That kind of thinking, that toolbox, is I think not as present in public in, in the public sector in Estonia as we would like for it to be, and that has very concrete outcomes. Right? It means a user interface that maybe gets updated once every five or ten years. It means a process flow that's not perfect. And if our goal ultimately, I mean, the reason we want to have user-centric services that we want to have good design, it's not just to make people happy, though that's all obviously a goal in its own right. It's also because that leads to better public service outcomes. You know, let's look at a, at a space like healthcare, where the big macro challenges we face are, how do we get people to engage in preventive behaviors? How do we get them when they're already, uh, you know, in the medical system to actually follow the prescriptions that they've given, been given by doctors, adhere to their medical regimens? How do we help them, you know, quickly, you know, get out of the medical system, get back into sort of a healthy lifestyle and then maintain that? And all of these, these are sort of complex processes and services. There's a digital component, there's a broader service design component, but all of those are, you know, supported by and ultimately advanced by good design. There is a second challenge I want to put on the table too, which is one that I think we've all been thinking about in the last few months since uh, the 24th of February, uh, when Russia's war against Ukraine started, which is how resilient are our public services and more generally our digital infrastructures too, to extreme stresses. Um, war, of course, is the most extreme of stresses. And I think Ukraine has held up incredibly well 
And we are very actively looking at what they've done to provide continuity of government, thinking about what we've already done with things like our data embassy initiative, and what we need to do beyond that, as well as reflecting more broadly over the lessons of, uh, of the last couple of years of COVID where across the world, public services have had to very quickly adapt in a sort of crisis mode to new circumstances. Uh, and so I think in addition to that focus on, on user centricity uh, and how user centricity supports the underlying policy goals of public services, the other thing that, uh, that I think we're set up to work on, but where we have a lot of work to do is around how our public services adapt and respond to crises. Yeah, Lucas. No, before I was uh, I was interrupting you briefly because I was just listening uh, indeed uh, to the uh, to the part regarding like user centricity uh, because it's uh, because I remember you you touched upon a couple of things that also uh, Vitali Friedman, if I'm not wrong, who's also going to participate in the governance conference, uh, also highlighted because the session with him was called designing for complex systems and definitely. Uh, the information systems that um, public services, let's say, rely on or are built upon, let's say, uh, are definitely complex, not just in terms of like the amount of data, but also in terms of like taxonomies, how they're structured, etc. And so what it was it was nice, let's say, to hear, but also interesting then to ask you about this point of the pre-interface, because you said, yeah, it's not just about uh, the user experience is not just about, let's say, uh, having a pre-interface, but also about when it comes to public services, somehow giving a direction no, as well to uh, what would be mm, the user behaviors, let's say, that could mm, also also prevent the users no, from, uh, I don't know, adopting, for example, like, I don't know, unhealthy habits. No? Like you, you mentioned, that, I think the example of healthcare that you pointed out is like perfect in this sense, because it, mm, it also pertains to another one of those public goods that I mentioned before, no? in the sense, with COVID and the pandemic, in any case, we saw that there are some measures and some things that in any case, behaviors that we should take individually and that in any case have an impact on uh, the public as a whole, no? Because as a consequence, yeah. then healthcare or like health, public health is indeed considered a public good. Do you think that there are one or two other examples, maybe like this, that we could point out just in terms, just very, very briefly and in terms of, I don't know, sectors or like topics or themes to look at, let's say? Sure, a few. I mean, one place where, where there is analog, where there are analogously big benefits to be reaped from getting this right is everything around education uh, and learning, right? And, and how, do we, um, how do we move from simply a classroom-based model to uh, creating a learning environment and outcomes that ultimately create uh, help, you know, educated people as well as a skilled workforce? Um, another place uh, is, uh, is certainly public safety and public security. Um, you know, and, and there's a question there of, of how, how data and how design uh, leads us to have better public safety, better security. But, you know, we can really pick, we can find those examples in any policy area. We can, we can find that in, you know, even something like uh, culture and, and memory and museums, where, of course, the underlying goal is not to have um, just a big catalog of, of data or catalog of objects, but to have people engaging with those objects, imagining themselves into the past. And so we're, we're looking, you know, we're thinking about new ways to make that process happen. Um, and in a sense, part of the challenge for the CIO is that you can, you can get yourself lost in any one of these areas. And, and, and it's fascinating. And, and, and the, say, um, information management in cultural memory institutions is 
um, a topic I've worked on in the past that is incredibly interesting. Uh, we could we could do a podcast just on that. But the CIO's job is not to solve all those problems and not to have the business acumen, but to meet uh, halfway uh, those who have a vision in healthcare or in culture or in public safety uh, with the tools to help them do their job. And so what, what we're focused on, and this is very much an area of continuity where we're seeing, I think, did a very good job in, in laying out the developments for the next couple of years, is how uh, we provide both the technology and the infrastructure, uh, as well as the data and some of the horizontal thinking to help uh, data and technology meet uh, creativity in terms of service and, 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 uh, and the design of the, the different businesses of government. So what that means, for instance, um, is a couple of service design concepts. Uh, one of them is proactive services. Uh, so the idea that uh, when there's a trigger uh, to an event, uh, then, uh, then you don't sort of wait for the citizen in question or the person in question to come and apply for something, but you basically bring the information to them uh, and you bring the solution to them. Something as simple as when my driver's license starts expiring, uh, I get uh, a message uh, that says your driver's license is about to expire. Would you like to renew it? Um, or, um, or, uh, you know, that, or, or similarly with my European health insurance card. In fact, I just got that message. Uh, another concept uh, or a second very important complementary concept is the idea of event-based services. So basically uh, when, uh, when say some important life event happens, birth of a child, death of a family member that usually impacts on a broad range of public services, many different agencies. And the user experience right now, even in very digital Estonia, is you basically have to sort of go around and solve one, you know, apply for one thing, apply for another. Uh, things don't really flow together seamlessly. Um, now for all of those to come together, right? Whether that's an event-based service or proactive service um, or, or better use of, of, of data, uh, you, you need to have some, some technical preconditions. You need to have um, sort of a data architecture, uh, microservices uh, that allow you to compose that. Uh, you want to have open APIs that allow you to bring in both public and private sector components. Uh, so you're not just rely, relying on the things that you build yourself. Um, of course, you need to have the, the components themselves be fairly cloud native. Uh, so that whether that's in public or in private cloud, you can take advantage of the scale, the flexibility of cloud computing. Um, and then you want to iterate, right? You, you don't just want to say, we're going to have a proactive service that reaches out to you when your driver's license needs renewing. You want to ask, well, how can, how can we make that even better? Um, how, you know, do we go from receiving an SMS that tells you log into this portal to do it to actually having uh, what we call bureaucratic uh, which is sort of the bureaucrat version uh, of a, a chat robot, a, a chatbot, and an AI that uh, will renew, do the process for you, allow you to chat with government uh, in your, you know, in your SMS exchange, and basically tell the government in an automated way, "That's great. Please renew my driver's license. Send it to the following address, and uh, and then you're done." Um, so, uh, so I think that uh, basically what we're in the process of doing right now is building the technical infrastructure um, as well as the service design concepts to make this happen. Now, Lucas, already like we, we, we put some elements out. We put the, the topic of indeed proactive services that they also need to be like uh, life event based. 
the topic also like of the interacting with the government more easily. Definitely a great introduction to what is going to be, first of all, the fireside chat that I mentioned before uh, at the conference, which is going to happen on May 12th. Uh, and then second, also the panel discussion on new trends in, uh, in technology and governance that you will be uh, that you will take part in. So, Lucas, really, thanks a lot for joining us today and for introducing some of the topics because, I mean, we will hear about them and we will see you already like next week. Thank you. I'm really excited for the chats um, and I'm excited in particular to talk with those who are going to be present uh, because I think the, the challenges are, are often in the nitty gritty of the execution. Uh, I think the visions are there and, and for much of the vision, we can really look at what the private sector has done in the best best sort of services um, from from the big tech companies to the startups. But the, the challenge is how do we sustainably bring that same level of design and service delivery and the, the technical tools and the data to support it into the public sector? Because indeed, Lucas is going to be there in person. I am going to be there in person. And I hope that also like most of you listeners of the Digital Government Podcast are also going to be there in person and going to attend the 2022 e-governance conference, which I remind you is coming up next week between May 10th and May 12th. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Thank you. Have a good day. Ciao. This podcast is brought to you by eGovernance Academy. Tune in on next Wednesday.